If you would, um, bow your heads and let's go to God in prayer. Oh, gracious and loving God, um, we come to you today. We're just grateful for all that you are doing in our lives and the lives of these children and what you are going to do and the path that you are laying for them. We just thank you for the opportunity to be with them today. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. Amen. Well, this is a great day. I just think it is just so fun to watch these families bring kids together and uh, to dedicate them to the church. It's wonderful. And what a beautiful example of the dads in this room who said, we're going to stand by. Thank you for doing that. And church, thank you for standing with these families and committing to it. It's not easy sometimes um, to, to stick with it, um, stick with people who are hard and sometimes unlovable. And, uh, but that's what we've committed to as the church family. And so I'm glad to be here and doing that with you. But today we're continuing on in our message series entitled The Whole in Our Gospel, where we're looking at what the gospel actually is and searching our hearts to see out, to see like where we're living and, and if we're living out the whole gospel or a gospel with holes in it. So a book that we have kind of looked at as kind of inspiration is entitled the hole in our the hole in our gospel and it's written by Richard Stearns who was a former president of World Vision and World Vision is an organization that brings relief efforts to poverty in children in uh, throughout the world so great book um, I very much highly encourage you to read it I'm, I have it on audible as well so you can listen to it as well but it's a very good book it's a very very hard book to read but there are pictures so it's not like there's a like well there's a couple pictures <laughs> this is like some right there um, but when I say it's hard it's very challenging and um, uh, it causes you to look very deep to check out your priorities with how you're spending your time and the financial resources that God has trusted to you. We know all of it is God's, and so what we do with that, I mean, Rich does a very good job of challenging us. It can be overwhelming. I'm going to say that up front. If you dig into this and you allow yourself to look into it, it's overwhelming because the statistics and the numbers are staggering of the places where the church could be stepping in and filling holes, but we haven't done it yet. And so we ask, God, break our heart for what breaks yours. And this book will break your heart. Um, specifically, it, it looks at poverty as it relates to children and the, effect, the effects on the next generation. But I pray that we, as we look into it and as we uh, ask ourselves these questions, I pray that we're filled with hope and not despair. Because we can have an impact in these numbers. We can step into the gap and live out the whole gospel in our corner of the world and in our homes. And so over the next several weeks, we're going to continue to unpack what it means to look at the whole in our gospel. And uh, the remainder of the morning, we're really going to focus on three things. Um, I, l- I don't ever hear that ring anymore. That's a great ring. It's like the old time ring. <laughs> we're going um, to unpack just for a minute again, what, it, what is the gospel? What is the whole, and what does God expect of me? Um, First, the gospel of Jesus is this. It's the good news that Jesus came to give every human being access to God and to make the kingdom of God available to all people so that we can have a relationship with God. The kingdom of God that Jesus came would turn the world upside down. 
In this kingdom, the one that Jesus spoke about was countercultural to the world. In this kingdom, the poor had a voice. The widows, the orphans, the sick, the maimed, the untouchable value, had value, and they mattered in that kingdom. The least of these were to be lifted up and embraced by God. In this kingdom, justice becomes a reality, not just a really cool word, social justice. But in this kingdom, the kingdom of God, justice becomes a reality. First, it begins in the hearts and the minds of those who claim to know Jesus. So we learn about it, we understand it, we know it. And then through the wider society, through their influence, it is lived out as disciples, as we are sent ones, we are called to be what? To be salt and light into the world, to bring this good news to all people. And, and so the kingdom of God is now, it is not reserved for when we die. It's not um, so that we can have some um, fire insurance just in case we don't go to the bad place, right? Um, somehow this 21st century version of the gospel that we're living out looks a little different than the one that Jesus proclaimed. And I know that because we have statistics of holes in our gospel, holes in the world that aren't happening. So um, what I wanted to do is take a minute and look at what Jesus had to say about this. So this, this message shares a hole in our gospel is not us idolizing the writings of a really amazing man of God. We are very excited and passionate about what he's done in the world, but really it all begins with Jesus. And so we look at the Bible to see what, what was going on here. And so Jesus, when we look at, um, at Luke, when Jesus began his ministry, he was baptized. If you uh, have followed along in your Bible, if, if you're new to the church or new to Christianity, Jesus uh, had a baptism and after his baptism, he received the Holy Spirit. Then he went into the desert. He was tempted by Satan for 40 days. He overcame that temptation. And then he began his public ministry. Okay? And so then he goes back to Nazareth. He goes back home where he was brought up. And uh, so I want to read in Luke here. If you, want to, if you brought your Bibles, you can follow along. It's in Luke 4, 14. So it says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. So he's full of the Holy Spirit. He's equipped to go and begin his ministry. John talked about that last week, that um, God doesn't uh, call the equipped. He equips the called, right? Okay, good. Good job. So it says, he returns in the power of the Spirit, and the news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. So he went home. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. So he came to church, right? Customs at 1030. So he probably showed up about 1015, got a cup of coffee. Maybe he was a greeter, hold the door. I don't know. But I'm sure he came early. I'm sure Jesus didn't stroll in late. Not to make you feel bad. I'm making that up. It's not in the Bible. So you know. So as his custom, he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah from the Old Testament was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, and this is huge. It says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, 
and sat down. I think that was like a drop the mic moment. He's like, boom, I am here. And he sits down, right? And so it says that, um, he, sa- he said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus gave them his mission statement, right? He said, I am here Um, I'm in my home church. He lays out his mission statement on why he's here, and he's come, and what this good news is going to be. He said, Spirit of the Lord is on me. So we can relate to this. Jesus is modeling this for us. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. I've been baptized. I've received the Holy Spirit. Those of you in this room who've been baptized, this is your mission as well. So we follow Jesus as our great, as the great apprentice. Um, Spirit of the Lord is on me. He is called into the family of believers, equipped with gifts to live into his ministry. The last part of his mission statement was that he would proclaim the Lord's favor. What's, what's the Lord's favor? The Lord's favor is that we'll have a full and abundant life in the kingdom of God now and after we die, right? That's the Lord's favor, that we are no longer orphans, that we have a father, that those on the margins have a place to belong, right? So he came to proclaim this good news. But there's a part of that middle section that sometimes we leave out. And if you leave out that middle section, you have a hole in the gospel. So who was to receive the good news that Jesus talked about? First, he said the least of these received the news. Now, he's saying this to his people in the church. He's like, I've come for the least of these, not necessarily for you. He says later on that I've come for the sick. The sick are the ones who need a doctor. And he said, I was here to free the prisoners, recover sight, release the oppressed, Think of those three words, free, recover, release. Those are all action words, right? They all involve an action. And then to proclaim the Lord's favor. The mission statement was so profound and so countercultural that it made his home church very uncomfortable. How do we know that? If you read further on in the scripture, he's, they start unpacking a little bit. And you know what they do in his church? They get so mad at him. They chase him out of town. They push him up against the edge of a cliff to try to kill him. They're like, get out of here. You are making us uncomfortable. And he walks through when he, he leaves his hometown. So you might feel uncomfortable. I'm just going to warn you, you might feel very uncomfortable when we stand up for the next, you know, five weeks, and I hope you come back, (laughs) Um, as we talk about the hole in our gospel. You're going to hear statistics. You're going to be challenged to action. You might even get really mad at me. I know you'll get mad at John. Um, Just kidding. I love having you here. This is so fun. Um, Yeah. Um, You will get mad at me. You might even want to throw me off the cliff. But um, I want to issue a challenge this morning. When that voice in your head starts to speak lies to you, and they're lies, when it, when it tells you that what you're hearing is not right, I want you to tell it to be quiet. I want you to say, I'm not going to hear you today, Satan. And then I want you to ask, why are you uncomfortable Why do these statistics, why does this challenge make you uncomfortable? Why are you defensive? Why do you want to get mad at whoever's delivering the message? See, I have been loving and leading in the local church for the last 15 years. I sat in the congregation. I remember it clear as day when I felt God say, I am calling you into ministry. 
And through those years that I've been serving, I believe that when you start to feel uncomfortable with the truths that you hear about the gospel of Jesus, when you start to feel uncomfortable, when you are forced to confront your comfort, you will want to lash out at the preacher. You're going to want to blame and justify that the message doesn't apply to you. Why do I know that? Because I feel the same thing too. And I want to say this right here today. None of us in this room is excused from the message. Not one person in this room is excused. The very fact that we are sitting in this building today, in a building with air conditioning, with chairs padded, that you rode in a car to church, that you had options of what clothes to pick, on, pick out today, that you ate breakfast or had a cup of coffee when you came in, or you had a full glass of clean water without fear of bacteria and parasites. This message, this gospel message, a hole in the gospel applies to you. It applies to all of us. One of the questions I've been asked what, when you approach uh, scripture, when you've been given the task of preaching and preparing the message, it's a huge weight. And one of the questions is, why are you equipped to do this message? What makes you qualified to stand up here and say this? And so I've been wrestling with that this, wrestling with that this week, saying, okay, God, now what, like, what, have, what have you done in my life to prepare me for this? And there are there's a lot to share. I don't have enough time today. But I think today I am qualified to share this with you because I am comfortable. And I am uncomfortable in my comfort. And I desire others to join me in being uncomfortable. I know, that's kind of twisted. But I kind of want you to be uncomfortable with me because I believe that God has a big plan for each and every one of your lives. And I believe that alone, we can do great things. But together, we can change the world. And I know we can. And at least we can change this corner of our world, of El Dorado. We have been called for such a time as this to free prisoners, to recover sight, to release the oppressed, and to proclaim the favor and the good news of the Lord. That is the gospel message. That's the mission of Jesus that we are called to carry out in our homes and our church and our community in the world. So that's it. (laughs) Just kidding. Um, What's the hole? What is the hole in our gospel? Because this, when we, when we look at, how, how many of you have read this or has anyone, has anyone got it yet? Okay. So don't feel bad about not raising your hand. Um, It is full of agonizing and heart-wrenching statistics. I just want you to know that. Statistics become overwhelming. I don't know if you're like me. There's a a phrase out there. It's called um, um, compassion fatigue, that we are very aware of all of the bad things that are going on. We hear statistics all the time of famine and disease and hunger, and, and we read it, and we're like, oh, my gosh, that's terrible. And then we unpause our binge-watching of Lost on Hulu, right? We have the ability to hear the terrible statistic and let it go. And it isn't until the statistic becomes personal to you, that action, that you want to move into action. So I want you to imagine with me for just a minute. I want you to, now listen up. This is very important to today's message, okay? 
I want you to imagine with me for a minute that you woke up this morning and the headline on the newspaper was this, 100 jetliners crash and kill 26,500 people. Imagine for just a minute, think of the panic and pandemonium that would take place if 100 jetliners fell out of the sky and killed 26,500 people. It would, it would saturate our news media. We would be shocked. We would try to figure out what in the world could we do to fix it. We would pour resources and government all into it to make sure it never happened again. Now imagine you wake up the very next day and a hundred more planes crashed out of the sky. And a hundred more crashed out the next day. It's unimaginable. It's that, that's something that terrible could never happen. But it did. And it does. It happened yesterday. It'll happen today. It'll happen tomorrow. And there will be no media coverage. No heads of state or media posting everywhere. We'll just go on with our regularly scheduled programming without getting to the root at the cause of the tragedy. And yet here it is. More than 26,500 children died yesterday of preventable causes related to poverty. Now you hear that statistic and you're like, 26,500, that's a huge number. I'm sure that's in a third world country. That doesn't relate to me. Moveon.com. Um, take that number, multiply it. Over 10 million children will be dead in the course of a year because of because of things that we can have an impact on as a church. So why does the crash of one single plane dominate the media, while the equivalent of 100 planes crash with ch filled with children and it never reaches our ears? It's a giant hole in our gospel. See, we have access to the information about poverty and what's going on in the world. We have more than enough access. We have awareness, and we have the ability to stop it. So why don't we? I think, I think there are lots of reasons. I think it boils down to the sin of omission. I think we have just kind of omitted parts of what Jesus said. We just don't feel maybe apply to us. That we don't, that it's not up to us. To worry about it. But I think one of the other main reasons that we don't respond is that it is not personal. That the kids on that plane, they're not our kids. They're someone else's. So we can move on. Now imagine for a moment that one of your children is on that plane. You know, you kiss them goodbye at the airport and you drop them off and you watch them board the plane and then later you watch the plane take off, and you watch it fall from the sky. Well, it would become pretty personal then, right? You would do whatever it would take, everything in your power to prevent your child from getting on the plane. Am I right? You would, you would sacrifice everything to keep those planes grounded. I'd say you would, you would um, go to the point of giving your own life, of replacing yourself on that plane. Am I right? It's personal. But running in front of a jetliner, waving your arms in the air all alone is not going to stop the plane from taking off. So how would you stop the tragedy from happening? 
We dismantle the planes, you know, get rid of the fuel, uh, do whatever we can, take the wheels off so they can't take off to ensure that no kids ever have to go through that. See, every child on that plane is someone else's child. And when you become a child of God, when you acknowledge that you are part of a bigger family of God, they're your kids too. See, what happens over there is personal to us over here. You see, we have believed the myths and um, we've justified our omission. So what a, an anonymous quote that they had put in this hole in the gospel said, you know, a conversation between two people. It says, sometimes I would like to ask God, why does he allow poverty, suffering, and injustice when he could do something about it? And the other person says, well, why don't you ask him? Another person says, because I'm afraid he'd ask me the same question. (laughs) So what are the myths that it isn't our problem? You know, we think, it's not my problem. I'm doing my part. I'm paying my taxes, and I'm taking care of my family. Isn't that enough? Well, if we're all a part of the same family of God, then we're not done. We think it's up to the government to take care of this problem. Well, yeah, okay. Our government's doing a great job, right? The governments of the world, or I'm not just saying the American, I'm just saying like uh, all the forces that be in this world, if they were doing their part, we wouldn't have this many airliners falling out of the sky every day. The truth is the system is broken and it needs to be fixed and it needs people who love Jesus who can help fix it. Jesus didn't say, come and follow me and, and then pay your taxes to Caesar and let Caesar take care of those on the margins. He says, come, follow me, give Caesar what's due Caesar, pay your taxes, do your thing. But you go and love and serve and set the captives free. That was what he called us to do. Shane Claiborne said in his book, The Irresistible Revolution, he said, it's distant acts of charity versus concrete acts of love. We need acts of charity, but we also need those love. We can't omit. We can't have one without the other. And without it, we have a holy gospel with holes in it. You think, I don't have anything to give. I'm poor. Well, we already kind of addressed that. You actually, by being here today, are among the top percentage of the richest people in the whole entire world. I know it might not feel like that, but you're rich. And it's only a problem in third world countries, not America. We, we don't have that many kids dying from, from every day from poverty and, and malnutrition and all that. But let's just look at what Jesus also directed. He talked about the orphans and the neglected kids in our world. Some statistics, which are going to make your eyes glaze over, glaze over but just super quick. Nationally, according um, to 2008, April 2018, about 4, 428,000 youth are in foster care alone. So they're in broken homes. Um, they've been abandoned. They are just kind of waiting for people to love and care for them. In Kansas, as of April, there were 7,687 kids waiting for foster care. Now, let me put this in perspective. In Sedgwick County and Butler County combined, we make up 1,200 of those kids out of all the counties in Kansas. I didn't do the math on that, but someone tell me, like, a little over, almost 20% of all of Kansas is in Sedgwick and Butler County. Mandy Yeager is a, a, a teacher in, the, in our district, and one day uh, in May, I think it was, we were gathering for prayer, and she said, I want you to pray. There's like four or five kids in my class who have nowhere to sleep tonight. 
In fact, there's no foster homes for them, so they're going to go back to their social workers' cubicle after school today, and they're going to sleep on the floor because there are no beds for them. One day last year, there were 150 kids in, in Butler County, and Central County area, um, who had nowhere to sleep. I heard that, I thought, oh my gosh, collectively, in our church, I'm sure we could find 150 couches or bedrooms or empty rooms that they could sleep for the night. Unfortunately, it's not that easy. It's a very, very broken system. If you have anything, if you know any knowledge, and I'm just at the beginning of understanding it a little more deeply, it is very broken. They are overwhelmed. There's not enough um, people to care and, and not enough social workers out there. So it's, um, we need help. The church, there are things we can do as a church to step in and fill the gap for these kids who need love so deeply. So what does God expect of us? I mean, we hear of the global uh, poverty, we hear of national uh, poverty, we hear of local poverty, but what does he expect of me? How can I fill the hole as it relates to caring for the next generation? How how can I love children I can't see and the ones I can? So I I wanted to give you a little hope. I want to share with you on how how we are, how we are filling that hole because things are happening and there is good news um, as a part of the global church, so when we talk about the big C, it's like the church universal, the church is doing amazing work. Amazing work. Uh, Hope Covenant Church is a part of the Evangelical Covenant Church. It's a, a denomination who's committed to serving globally. And so when you give generously each week of your tithe and offering, a portion of that goes to our denomination that funds the mission and ministry of our global organizations. And one of those organizations is called Covenant Kids. And that is actually a partnership through World Vision where for $40 a month, you can step in and serve and um, support a child and meet their basic needs of care. And um, you can help in um, education, clean water, health, uh, agriculture, um, economic development, and advocacy. So in your individual family, you can connect with another child, $40 a month. But also when we give, as a church, we send money to make sure that these organizations are sustainable. So... This is, this is good. This is, we are part of something much bigger than ourselves, things we can't see. So that's part of where it goes. It's just one way that this church is stepping into that gap. So what about our local church, Hope Covenant? We're here right now. At the beginning of the service, you see as a church, we say, we believe in kids. We believe in the next generation. So we're going to commit to love them. We're going to have youth ministry. We're going to like give them noogies when they walk in the hallway. We're going to look past the fact that they're smelly in their middle school years. And um, <laughs> I love you, Aiden. <laughs> okay. Um, so again, when you give when you give of your tithes and offerings, it goes to support everything that happens here. We've got a building. We make it a safe place for kids to come and learn and explore their faith and ask questions to know that they can, um, can learn about that here. We are in the process of hiring a next-generation pastor. So we've been searching. We've been interviewing. We've been praying to bring on the next person who's going to help us in mentoring and leading that next generation. Now, we're not bringing someone to take over that job. This doesn't mean you're off the hook. You still have to do it but someone to kind of help us oversee and move us forward in that. And so um, it's, it's a process, and um, we're just, we know that it's going to be great. We're just still waiting. Um, 
Hold on. Oh, <laughs> that's like the whole. As a church, we are um, doing our first ever Butler Mission Week. So John talked about that earlier. We're say taking a week and we're sending out into the community. I believe that when you commit to serving others, it will become personal to you. If you're sitting here and saying, oh, I've never really done mission, I've never really served, all oh, that's really great, I'm not really good with kids, blah, blah, blah. It can become personal to you in a way that God can use you in the way that he's already gifted you. So if you're not good with kids, it's okay. It doesn't mean you have to, like, babysit. There are a lot of opportunities. And Butler Mission Week, you do not have to sign up for the whole week. It's, it's um, Sunday through Friday. You can sign up for two- and three-hour blocks. So if you just want to go in late on a day or in the evening, you want to join us for the evening pieces, we're going to be working with Numana, um, Flint Hill Services, Family Pregnancy Resource Centers, the city, cleaning up El Dorado. We've got all kinds of things. Please, please, please do yourself a favor. Make it personal. Come to Butler Mission Week, BMW. Do the whole week if you can. Shoot, that'll be awesome. Students, sign up. Aftershock, come here. We're bringing in a camp speaker. It's going to be great. Um, okay, so that's, you know, the global church, our local church, and you, individually. The question is, what does God expect of us? What does God expect of you? How are you going to fill in, step into that role? Some of you are called to love on kids, so we need help and hope kids. We would love some male leadership in there as well. Students having men um, stepping in, mentoring them, filling the gap in, in, the, in their lives. That would be wonderful. Aftershock was our youth ministry. Um, to our empty nesters, we need you. <laughs> Parenting today is really hard. And I know it was probably hard for you too, but it's really hard today. Um, we don't know what we're doing. And so we need you to mentor. We need you to step into our lives um, and, uh, and be there. In your homes, families, have you ordered your life around Jesus? Do your kids understand what the most important thing is in your home? Do they know that Jesus comes first and everything else is second? That is hard because, man, the world wants us to do something very different with our schedules and with our money and with our time and how we prioritize things. Students, your faith can lead your whole family. Your faith can inspire change for the generations to come in your life. Do not look down on that. Your parents are inspired by you, want to follow you, live into that. And serve together. If you've got people in your house, come together, serve together. There's nothing like it. Make it personal. Let God work on you through that. Satan has made us so comfortable and so convinced that what we're doing is enough that we can't even hear the cries of those around us. Jesus came to afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. So some of us in this room today are very afflicted and you're listening to this and you're saying, I can't take any more. And the good news of Jesus is that he will meet you where you're at. But there are many of us in this room today who are very comfortable. See, God knew that Satan was going to blind us make us comfortably numb to all of the things around us. And he knew that some of his children would miss the point of the whole gospel. He knew we would miss it and that we would need other people to step in and show us the whole picture. And so God sent his one and only son 
to help his children, adopted into his family, his big wide family, to see what it meant to be loved by God. And when Jesus came, he came to seek and save the lost, to love so sacrificially and so uncomfortably that it would cost him a lot. It would cost him more than giving up his spare bedroom in his house to let a kid sleep there for the night. It cost him more than missing out on the really expensive vacation. It would cost him more than eating at a bunch of expensive restaurants or Starbucks. Or it would um, cost him more from investing in more decor or tchotchkes for the house. It would cost him more than $40 a month to meet the needs of a child in another country. It would cost him more than being driven out of his own home church. It would cost him his life. And he would give up everything in order that we may know the truth. And that truth will set us free. So for God, it's personal. For God, it's as personal as it gets. He gave up his son for you, for me, for the orphan in Africa, for the homeless teenager in Butler County. And so the question is, what does God expect of me? What am I willing to sacrifice to fill the hole in the gospel around us? And that's the gospel. That's the whole gospel. That's the good news of Jesus to reach the ends of the earth for his disciples to be the salt and light for all the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we come to you. We acknowledge your goodness and your holiness. And we acknowledge the mercies in, that you just give us every single day. You are such an amazing Father. The example you said is, is uh, it's so comforting that we, we know we can rest in you. When things are hard and, and everything seems out of control and unattainable, God, we know that we have you to look to as the author and the perfecter of our faith. And so we come to you thanking you for that. And all of this world, everything in it is yours. These are all your people, God. I just pray that you empower us and you equip us to stand in the gap. That you let us see the needs of those hurting around us. And, and God, we thank you in this moment for those who have already done that. Many of us in this room are, are here today and we have experienced your children filling in the gaps in our own lives. And I thank you for that. I thank you for sending Jesus to show us how to live and how to love. We ask you to um, urge us on in the calling. We ask you to um, afflict us if we are comfortable. Give us the courage to step into that, God. And I thank you for this community who is doing that. We ask all of these things in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.